I hiked up a mountain that felt like Mount Doom. Because it was spewing lava? Yeah. Or because it was surrounded by large winged beasts? Both. Cool. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> Uh, actually, what's interesting is hiking up the mountain was not as difficult as hiking down that mountain. It's uh, usually what gets you. Is it? Yeah. I've not hiked a lot of mountains. Yeah, it's usually the downhill. Yeah. Because you're already tired. I was super tired. Uphill is cardiovascularly difficult, mm-hmm. and downhill is muscularly difficult. I was in the Scouts, uh, so I was you know, 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hiked up the mountain. It was a day hike. We were going to go up and down in one day. Uh, mountain Baldy. At uh, Philmont Scout Ranch. Yeah. Is that near here? No, it's in Colorado. Oh. Oh, Mount Baldy, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the two big mountains you climb at Philmont. That's in Colorado. That's in Colorado. Okay. I'm yeah. following. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and climbed climbed Baldy, went up the up there. We stopped a couple times along the way because this was a this was not a backpacking trip. This was a leadership training course. Uh, and so we would stop and do, like, an activity halfway up the mountain. We got up the top, we did lunch, and we were going to come down for the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we were coming down, as often happens in the mountains, there was an afternoon rainstorm. A lot of afternoon rainstorms are pretty simple. The last 20 minutes, it rains, and it's mm-hmm. gone. This was not one of those. This was, like, a serious thunderstorm that lasted for hours. And when you're hiking and there's a thunderstorm, you don't really have a lot of options. Like, you can't go somewhere else because there's no like that, that's literally what you're trying to do is is go to a place mm-hmm. where it is not thundering and lightning and things right. and there are there are various safety precautions you take uh and one of those is called the lightning position uh so as you as you know jesse lightning likes to hit tall things trees cows you know tall things mm-hmm. And the lightning position is a thing where you hunker down, you, you literally squat down and lift up your heels. Uh, so you're minimizing the, the amount of contact you have with the ground. And touch your heels together, which creates a continuous barrier if you're wearing rubble, rubber-soled shoes. So you are insulated but low, which doing things to reduce the chance of getting hit by lightning in a lightning storm. And so we're in this thunderstorm going down the mountain, and about every 20 minutes, the, the scout leader who's in charge calls for lightning position. And so we've got to hunker down and, like, wait four minutes until he thinks it's safe to go again. And then we get up and keep walking. And this is in torrential rain? Torrential downpour, lots of lightning and thunder uh, on a mountain. I will say, though, uh, the... The storm cleared about the time we hit base camp, which was nice. It was it was very relaxing to go like that, and we went to the to the quartermaster, the commissary, you know, place where you can you know buy snacks and things like that. And I bought a microwavable gas station cheeseburger because that's what they had. I mean, it's a scout camp. You and it was the best cheeseburger I have ever eaten. <laughs> because of the level of yeah of stress you just absolutely yeah Yeah. it was a really Um, good cheeseburger wow if you asked me what i thought the best cheeseburger you've ever had was i would not not have guessed that not have guessed a gas station microwavable cheeseburger following a torrential thunderstorm on a mountain yeah it's a good one Mm -hmm. what's the best cheeseburger you've ever eaten jesse um 
I don't know. I don't think I've had that many particularly memorable cheeseburgers. No? No. No. Too bad. Yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> um, I have had uh, experiences on mountains before. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, there's a mountain in New Hampshire just over the Massachusetts border that I've hiked many, many times. Mm-hmm. Because it's very accessible. It's pretty easy. It's like a 2,000-foot climb. Okay. I think it's uh, Mount Monadnock. It's technically, or at least when I was younger, it was the most climbed mountain in the world. Wow. Yeah. Just because so many people have access to it and it's so easy. Okay. That just lots, there's always, a always. People, a lot of people climbing that mountain. Tons of people on the mountain. Um. I'm going to tell the story. Uh, I expected you to. One, uh, you, one. You started telling the story. You have to finish now. Well, I, there was a. There's numerous stories I could choose from, oh, okay. but I'm going to. I'm going to tell this one. Gotcha. Uh, there are. There was a time when I was young, and I was with. I don't think my mom was there. I think it was my dad and my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. We went and hiked Mount Nadnock. It was a great day, early summer. You know, enjoyed all the way up, and we're. It, it's easy so it's everyone's having a good time and it's really fun mm-hmm. stop like halfway up and have some lunch sure get to the summit we're hanging out it's beautiful views everywhere uh and then all of a sudden i feel just the most enormous urge to just shit myself <laughs> <laughs> just like the 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 boiling stew of, mm-hmm. of diarrhea is coming oh that's a bad day right there and so the way mount Mananok is is the mountaintop Mm-hmm. Is above the tree line, mm-hmm. so it's just bald, Barren, just yeah. bald rock, yeah, for five or six hundred feet of elevation, mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot of like a lot of it. That's the difficult part of the climb, so mm-hmm. it kind of takes a while to get down, and you have to be careful yeah. getting down, uh, which is not easy to do when you are using all of your focus and energy and concentration to. Uh, keep your butt closed (laughs) (laughs) and so i finally make it uh i finally we finally make it to like just inside the tree line Uh and this being the most climbed mountain in the world (laughs) there's still people everywhere everywhere like you can't walk a minute down the trail without being passed by someone going the other way um so i just bolt yeah off the path into the woods into the woods which is still not that thick because yeah, it's yeah, you're just near, past the tree line, near yeah. the tree line. Uh, and I'm just like hunting <laughs> and hunting and hunting for like <laughs> at like a, somewhere I can be enclosed. And, and I'm like 11 or 12. Uh-huh. So this is like prime embarrassment. Oh, yeah. No, this, is, this has got to be the worst thing that's ever happened like to if you I, at this point. If I, this was the worst thing that ever happened to me for many years after this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if like if this happened to me now, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is bad. Like yeah. this is terrible. But I wouldn't feel like embarrassment about it. I would just deal with it and take mm-hmm. care of it. And mm-hmm. then I'd be like, whew, I'm glad that's over. Uh, but this, I was, I was, I wanted to die. Yeah, mortified before, like more than anything. Uh, finally, find a little like nook behind a rock and uh-huh. I just throw it down. Yeah, and empty everything out. <laughs> and uh, it was super gross. I would imagine. Uh, I felt immediately better. Yeah. Like immediately just felt 100% fine. I mean, I've 
I've had dumps like that. Yeah. Uh, were they on a mountainside? No. <laughs> <laughs> they were not. Although I will tell you a fun story about a place I pooped in just a moment. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Uh, and that was uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, packed it up and went and found my, my family fam- again, joined them on the path and finished our way down the mountain. There you go. That was. Uh, <laughs> Did they know what was happening at this time? They were all very aware. Okay. Uh, and my, like, year older brother and four year old, four year older sister, mm-hmm. uh, took great advantage of the fact that I was. Yeah, I mean, trying with every ounce of my being to not poop myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that that is a motivation. Yeah, yeah. Now my my fun pooping story is not not nearly as fun, but in uh, I was a Boy Scout. Uh, from, you know, first grade is when I became a Cub Scout, and I was a Boy Scout until I was technically 18, then I was a Scouter until I was, like, 21 or so, actively engaged in, in the, oh, the wow. stuff still. Did you reach Eagle Scout? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got my badge. I've got my card. I've got uh, – my card is somewhere. i got to find it. I think it's in a drawer. And I've even got the Eagle Scout ring that my grandmother bought me. Wow. Uh, yeah. She bought me that along with a lifetime membership to the National Eagle Scout Association. Which is that doesn't come free with becoming an Eagle Scout? No. Oh, that's weird. You just get to be an Eagle Scout. <laughs> that's uh, becoming an Eagle Scout is genuinely one of those like life accomplishments that I have a lot of respect for. Yeah, like uh, I think being an Eagle Scout is kind of an amazing. I'm thing. I'm still super proud of. It. I put it on my resume. Yeah, like, like most things you achieve when you're a teenager. Yeah, I was like, I was fifteen. Not 16. things you continue to look back on. Yeah. as like. Great things to do with your life. Yeah, Eagle Scout's one of those. I'm, I'm still super proud of it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely like a thing I, I am proud of. And a cool thing about being an Eagle Scout. I'll get back to pooping in a minute. Yes, please. <laughs> a cool thing about Eagle, being an Eagle Scout is finding other Eagle Scouts. Like I don't, I don't mention that I'm an Eagle Scout in, in casual conversation, but if it comes up, I will mention it. Uh huh. And it's always really fun to find someone who either mentions it before you, or that you can then say like, "Oh, I'm an Eagle Scout too," or they say to you, "Oh, I'm an Eagle Scout too." Right. Because there's an immediate bond there, uh, because I know what that's like. You know, I know what what it took to become an Eagle Scout, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a cool secret club that like. Unlike many secret clubs that I would not want to be a part of, uh, it's one that I think is kind of neat. Uh, and there's a thing that actually will happen uh, at at Eagle Scout ceremonies uh, that's pretty common because mm-hmm. it's a it's a big deal. You have a ceremony like, right. like a graduation almost. Right. Uh, you'll have you'll have the Eagle's Nest where you will uh, do one of two things. You'll either just invite all the Eagle Scouts in the audience to stand and sort of like be recognized, uh-huh. or you sometimes go even a step further and ask them to actually sit in a different part of the. Uh, Room, room. I say most. <laughs> I say a lot of Eagle Scout ceremonies happen in uh, church sanctuaries. Actually, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because uh, many of the Boy Scout troops meet in churches and other civic, you know, centers. Right. Uh, and then, so once you get badged, you will then go sit with them, sort of joining the flock. Do they uh, uh, weave their bodies together in a nest-like shape? No. Okay. That'd be weird. All right. Although there is a camp game like that called the Human Knot. <laughs> Oh, I played the human knot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone does their uh-huh. puts their hands in, and then you got to untangle. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good camp game because it takes no you need space. You don't need any sort of equipment to make it happen. Right. Just bodies. Just bodies. <laughs> in space. Right. Uh, so when I was a Boy Scout, uh, one of the things we did mostly for summer camps, but just in general, uh, if we went camping somewhere, we was we would 
my mother's a scrapbooker. I'm gonna start off with that. My mother's a scrapbooker. Um, now and so she liked having lots of together. pictures, lots of pictures, and so we would take pictures of the bathrooms, uh, the toilets, which which ranged from like actual flushies. Like we went to a summer camp one year that had flushies, and that was amazing. Uh huh. Because you know it flushed. Right. Uh, to technology. Uh, your standard red roof ins, which were that's that's what we called them. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a box. Usually, you have uh, two seats side by side, mm-hmm. uh, pilot co pilot style. <laughs> um, to uh, what you have at Philmont, which is the most common, uh, they have they have trail bathrooms, uh-huh. which are are like a red roof in minus the roof and walls. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's an open latrine, uh-huh. and you have either one of two styles. You have uh, pilot co pilot, which is the side by side. Or you have Bomber Bombardier, which is back to back. I love the terminology. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so we will, and so you know, if you're out, you know, you you take a picture of where you're pooping because it's fun. My favorite one though was uh, one year I did a uh, actually I think I did a couple horse tracks, but at least one year I did a horse track, which is like a backpacking except you can go farther because you're on a horse and you oh, can yeah. take more with you. And the horse yeah. does all the work. It's way better. <laughs> You have to take care of the horse, which uh, led to us staying up all night with a horse that had colic and almost died. Oh. Uh, it, it turned out fine. I was really sleepy. <laughs> but uh, on the horse trek, we, because we were, I mean, the, the situation was such that we didn't have trail bathrooms because we weren't like someplace like Philmont. Because the thing about Philmont is it's kind of like this mountain you were on. Uh-huh. You pass people all the time. Like right. you're not, like you're. It's it's a huge camp, but hundreds of scout troops go there every month. Yeah, and so you're on these trails, and you're seeing somebody every single day. Like you're you don't feel like you're in the wilderness, right? Um, and you're kind of not like you're in you're in the wilderness, like but but it's a uh, cultivated almost, and it's completely surrounded and controlled by things that are not wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this horse track we were on was like. We were the only people around for maybe a hundred miles at some times. Wow! Because uh, we, I mean, it was out there, and we were you know we'd find a spot to camp for the night. Yeah, um, and sort of there were some trails and stuff that we were following, but there was nobody else around. Uh-huh. Which is one of the coolest things to do when you're camping is to be somewhere. Uh, we took a backpacking trip once uh, to a I think it was a state park that only allowed six people to stay in the state state park every night, and we were those six people. Like we had the six tickets. That's cool. And we were literally the only people legally sleeping in the state park that evening, that night, for like that weekend. Yeah. And like, that's cool. But on, on the horse track, we had something called the snake. And this is, this is where we pooped, which is uh, you would you'd get a shovel, go dig a hole, and we had a milk crate with a toilet seat on top of it that had been tied down. Nice. And uh, that, was, that was probably my, my weirdest place to poop. You, that's called a snake? That's what we called it, was the snake. Is there anything snake-like about it? Uh, I think that the joke was you might get bit by a snake if you were using it and not careful. <sighs> yes, yes, you might. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense now. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules about uh, using a latrine. Uh, like, you got to get a stick first. Uh-huh. Uh, like in a, in, a, in a more traditional red roof inn. Yeah. Uh, you get a big stick, and you go knock it around inside first to make sure there's no, like, bugs or snakes. critters or snakes uh, in there before you you do your business. And the the vessel in in, a, in one of these is uh, 
five gallon bucket. No, kind of thing. Well, no, these these uh, were were traditional latrines. Like there was a giant hole. Oh, and so it was like natural composting and things like that. Oh. But it was a really a really deep hole. Oh, uh, with but you know, it all stays in the hole. Yeah. Okay. With like a toilet enclosure above it, and by toilet enclosure I mean like some two by fours, a shack. <laughs> yeah, a shack, a lean to. Yeah. I spent um, great way to open an episode. By the way, is talking about poop. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I spent when I when I was in California mm-hmm. uh, camping, living with my sister. Um, we were we were staying at someone's home. It was mm-hmm. like their homestead, and they had a bathroom, but we were like off at another place on their property. Yeah, stay, like camping. Um, and we had a bathroom that was a outhouse. Yeah. Right. A latrine, yeah. Yeah, red roofing style yeah. kind of thing. Except it was uh your vessel was a five gallon bucket. Okay. And then you transported that somewhere else where it would turn itself into compost. Huh. Um so, That seems like a hassle. Yes. It's super gross <laughs> because every couple days yeah. You no, know, like you, you go in, you do your business, and mm-hmm. you grab a bunch of leaves and throw it in there so mm-hmm. it gets like mixed in. Yeah. Uh, and then when it's almost full, someone gets to take it. Has to t- pick up that bucket. And the thing is, is like if you want to play that card where you're like, uh, I'm going to like leave it this time, like it's getting there, and I'm going <laughs> to leave it. Like all you're doing is increasing the chances that you'll have to do it when it's even fuller. Yeah. Right? So hopefully before it's too full, you got to pick up a five-gallon bucket, which even when it's yeah. half full of poop is <laughs> it's a lot of poop. Pretty heavy, yeah. Uh, and you got to walk it over to the compost area, and then you got to dump it out. Yeah. Were they at least using it for something? Like were they composting and yeah, using that? Yeah, they, ha- they were okay. farming and gardening and doing a lot of stuff. I and mean, that's like at that. least worthwhile. They were making very good use of it because yeah. it's not difficult to make a latrine. Like in a, in a traditional, like you dig a big hole, right? Like that's you. You make sure you're not near any water sources, and yes. you dig a big hole. Yeah. Like so, I I thought it was interesting that they were sort of living on this this farmstead and didn't have a more permanent solution, but it's because they were using it for other purposes. Yeah, this is for like the the people who would like stay in camp there. Yeah, they had a real bathroom, <laughs> which when they weren't around, I used. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, because of the red roof ends and things at, like, summer camps, uh-huh. we would have uh, the camp I worked, which had no flushing toilets unless you were on staff, and we didn't tell anybody about those. <laughs> uh, and we used the other ones, too, because they were usually, usually, like, one flushy, and, you know, all over camp is everything else. And so, you, you know, by this time, you know, I was 18, 19, I didn't mind pooping in a hole. Yeah. But we, um, we would have kids who were 10, 11, 12, 13, this, you know, very embarrassing age that you were at. Yes. Uh, who would try and go all week without pooping. <gasps> oh, no. That's very dangerous. It's bad for you. Like, it's very bad for you. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't want to poop in a hole. Yeah. And uh, so uh, one year at Twin Arrows, uh, my aunt, who was – Twin Arrows is the camp I worked at. Sorry. I okay. Uh, my aunt was a nurse. She still is a nurse. Like, that's what she does. Um, she was our, our nurse at the camp. And she's she's an actual nurse. Oftentimes, we would have like a medic at the camp who is not a real nurse. Uh-huh. They're, they're a medic. It's a different skill set, and they're very matter of fact. She was an actual nurse, like trying to be nice to the kids and things like that. Whereas the traditional response to a kid who comes in with a stomach ache, who's not feeling good, is just oh, I'm not feeling good. Is you give him an apple, you make him wait 20 minutes, and you let him leave. <laughs> 
Let's get some more fiber in there. It's going to yeah, happen. Just get it out. Uh, but she was very nice to them, and was like trying to like be a nurse and take care of them. And we had to say, no, don't do that. Was there? Um, imagine there was like a cafeteria or something mm-hmm. where people. Pre- I wonder if they laced any laxatives in there. To uh, they did not. Uh, I know. But sure. Yeah, I know. The, I know the staff. Okay. <laughs> also, we were all eating the same food. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, well, so it's interesting. Uh, Twin Arrows, I, work, I worked Twin Arrows for almost 10 years. I worked at that camp in the summer, usually for a week. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I know, it was a great, great experience. It was a leadership training course. So yep. it was about, like, teaching young men to be leaders and be, you know, how to, how to lead a troop, how to lead a pack, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a really interesting thing that they did there because every uh, – there were patrols of six scouts together. And they would have a TA, which stood for something. I don't remember the acronym. Uh, who, was a, who was a member of staff who like worked specifically with them. Troop advisor. I'm going to go with that. That sounds good. Uh, they had a TA that would work with them who was a part of staff. Um, and then there was the rest of staff doing all sorts of different things. You know, being Senior patrol leader was in charge of everything. The scoutmaster was the adult in charge of everything. Because uh, there's sort of a youth staff and an adult staff. Right. Um, and then a bunch of other roles related to that. But this was the sort of camp where we're teaching them lots of skills, and so they would have to cook all of their meals. Well, it changed, but it was, usually it was at least one meal a day. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, bef- but that was later on. Earlier on was every meal they cooked. Um, and I realized that that actually was detracting from the other leadership training stuff we were going to do, so we went down to one meal a day. Mm. But they would cook for us, and it was for us. So, like, there was a cafeteria and a kitchen, but that was for the people who weren't going out to a patrol to eat. Okay. Uh, and so there was a rotation. And so everybody, you know, every patrol would have to come pick up their two staff members mm-hmm. that they had cooked dinner for and take them back to their camp. Hmm. It was usually an adult staff and a youth staff uh, that they would take one of each and you would get paired off and there was a rotation. We had 10 patrols, 60 students, 60 scouts. Um, and so... 20 people on staff would go out and eat every meal, and the rest of, you know, the other 15 or so would eat it, and it would rotate through. Right. And then the people who went out to eat at the patrol would come back and eat real food. (laughs) (laughs) Because you've got a bunch of 13 to 15-year-olds cooking at camp. And it's not that they can't do real food. Some of them were really good. Yeah. Some of them were not. Uh, And so there was always that sort of distinguishing, like, there's always PB&J in the back if you need it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's even, even camp cafeteria... Uh, quality. There's mm-hmm. always something nice about having something professionally prepared. Yeah, yeah. Well, my and we had we had some really good quartermasters. Uh, my dad was one actually one year. He was quartermaster oh, yeah? for yeah. He was miserable the whole time. <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, the, usually we have a giant food order from like Benny Keith, which it does large food orders. Okay. Um, you've probably you may see their trucks if you ever know to look for them. It's, it's got a Chef Boyardee looking guy on the side. <laughs> And they do large food orders. Right. And the year he was quartermaster, our Benny Keith order didn't come through properly. Someone didn't do the paperwork right. And so he was driving to Walmart every day to buy all the food for this camp. Wow. And the nearest Walmart was about an hour away. So he would, like, drive out, buy all the stuff, and come back. And then have to cook it all. Yeah, that's uh, time-consuming. Yeah. He, and he was, he was cooking breakfast for us in the mornings, so he was up before everybody. And he was usually the last one to go to bed because so he would have, you know, 
breakfast in the morning, we get up around 6, uh-huh. get ready to eat and start the day, do a whole day's worth of activities, have lunch at some point in the middle, which was, again, he, he cooked for everybody. Yep. He had a couple uh, youth staff that were helping him as well that were sort of assistant quartermasters. And dinner, which was cooked by the campers. Mm-hmm. And then after the campers went to bed, we would have our staff meeting at night, which was uh, Cracker Barrel. So you have to have snacks and things like this for everybody as well. So he's basically making four meals a day, getting about four hours of sleep. Wow. Yeah, he, he didn't want to do that again. That's a lot of food to buy at a Walmart. And yeah, well, I think there, there may have been a Sam's, but it was still, but still even if it's a lot like, of food. Like a person going for, for about a hundred people. Yeah, that's insane. And he went every single day. Wow. Yeah, I um, the closest I've come to that, I was never much of a camp person. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have been to like I went a couple times like a summer camp when I was very mm-hmm. young. I remember going like with a friend to like a winter camp for a weekend or something, but I missed out on all the like traditional like camp experiences yeah. that like most people seemed to have. Um, but I had similar experiences at least with the food in uh, volunteering at Soul Fest, a music festival. Okay. Um, I don't know what this is. It's a it's a Christian music festival okay. in New Hampshire. Cool. Um, and the week before it starts uh, they have a 70, 80 volunteers mm-hmm. show up and it's a it's one of those music festivals where you're there for you know you're camping a uh, couple stages and the volunteers build everything wow. you build you build the stages there's there's like a professional crew who comes in but yeah. like the actual like manpower is provided by volunteers mm-hmm. and so you just spend a week building stages yeah. and all the facilities and all the stuff that's necessary for it uh, and you are graciously and lovingly fed the worst <laughs> pig slop of food that I've ever eaten in my life. Yeah. Um I've never been to prison, but I imagine it's like the stereotypical <laughs> quality of a prison food, mm-hmm. like worse than hospital food, worse than school cafeteria food. Mm-hmm. It's probably probably prison food. Yeah. This is what Soul Fest food is like. Huh. But the people who are preparing it are also volunteers. Yeah. And they are wonderful uh-huh. and uh, when you wake up at 7 a.m. and yeah. you are working in July mm-hmm. in, to be fair, the New Hampshire sun. <laughs> Which is it's the same sun. It's hot, yeah. but it's different than the Texas sun. Yeah. Um, you are exhausted. Mm-hmm. You're like, and just the presence of calories yeah. is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember uh, one time a breakfast was... Um, uh, uh, like biscuits and gravy. Okay. Um, but it was truly horrible. Yeah. Utterly disgusting. Mm-hmm. Very, very bad. Uh huh. And because it's someone cooking for 70, 80 yeah. people, right? Like, and they're not, they're not cooks either. They're mm-hmm. just volunteers. Um, so horrible, but you, like, you're given that plate and you just <laughs> funnel it into yeah. your mouth and it's so good and so satisfying yeah. and at the same time, utterly like, disgusting. tastes terrible. Right, but you're so grateful for it. Yeah. I, that's And that's true of a lot of, like, scout camp food, is it's never good food. Right. Um, and, and more traditional scout camps, again, ours was kind of weird because we were a leadership course, but more traditional right. scout camps do have a mess hall, and everybody goes to mess hall for every meal, or at least two meals a day, and mm-hmm. you go and get all the food, and you mm-hmm. do all that. Uh, one year, I was on a backpacking trek, and the rest of our... There's a group of us, six of us or so, that was on a backpacking trek. 
and everybody else is going to the same base camp for traditional summer camp sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Who's out in New Mexico? Maybe. Colorado, one of those. We always went out that direction. Uh, but there was a massive forest fire going on in, not at our camp, but uh, at a couple different camps that were like halfway across Colorado. It was a huge thing. You know, the whole world was aware of it at the time. I don't remember what it was, but... Um, That's scary. It was. It was very scary. Uh, and a couple camps closed, and they sent some of their people to our camp. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about scout camp food is it's not very good of it not very good, but there's tons of it. Right. And, right. and you know, there's always, you know, mess hall. They always yell, seconds, when it's time to go get seconds. Everybody rushes and goes, get more. Yep. And then they'll even call thirds, and you'll go get more. Because <laughs> there's just tons of food. Right. Uh, and this year, because, of, because they basically had doubled the number of people that were there, they didn't have enough food. They didn't bring any of the food with the people? Apparently not. It was, it was terribly planned. I didn't know any of this because I was out in the woods with my backpack with food that we had planned for just us. Oh, right. And so it was fine. But the rest of our camp was getting, like, one corn dog for dinner and, like, a scoop of mashed potatoes. Oh, my gosh. And, like, so now you have terrible food and, as the saying goes, such small portions. (laughs) Uh, Creating very angry people. People. They were miserable. There's... Like this is like this is a well-known f- fact about humanity. Is there's almost nothing you can do to make a l- group of people more dangerous than to make them hungry? Than to make them hungry. Yeah. Like that's how revolutions start. Yeah. That is literally how the French Revolution started. Give yeah. them enough food if you I saw, don't want I saw a, a quote recently that said, you know, if you want to start fascism, lock up the food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how it starts. That's scary. Like I'm surprised. Yeah. Were there? I'm surprised it didn't devolve into riots. Uh, I mean, apparently they were doing their best. Like they were trying to get more. They were again bringing in more, but they right. were they were on uh, scant food. Uh, that would for the week. I would not have wanted to be in the situation of someone yeah. in charge there. That's we kind were, of scary. We were having a great time at camp with backpacking food, though. Yeah, I'm sure you were. We had plenty. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. Um, was that the trip we had spam too? We there was one trek I did. Where we, had, we brought a couple cans of spam. So we could cook that up on the on the grill. Do you like spam? Yeah, i I don't think I've ever had it. I don't remember having it. It's good. So, well, it's it's gross. <laughs> like, sure, it's a gross food sure. product. But everyone who talks about spam talks about how much they love it. Yeah, uh, Amy doesn't. She hates it. I okay, made her try it. She so it's okay if you don't like it, but. Here's the deal. Yeah. Um, I love hot dogs. Yeah. And I can't imagine Spam is, like, worse quality than, like, a cheap hot dog. No, I wouldn't say so. But for some reason, it has such a much worse reputation. It does. It does have a worse reputation. Um, it's it's a it's a weird food. Right. Like, it comes out in a, in a rectangular rec- cube yeah. thingy. Like, that's how it comes out of the can, and yeah. that's weird. Uh, that's like, weird. I give you that. It's Yeah, it's wrong. Uh, but... You like? Have you ever had a fried bologna sandwich? Yeah, same family. Yeah, uh, I love to do. I'll do slices of spam and then some some sharp cheddar cheese melted on top of it. Oh, a little bit of yellow mustard makes a great sandwich. That does sound kind of good. Yeah, and it's super cheap. Yeah, yeah, pretty cheap. Um, backtracking. Yeah, have you heard the story of the time where I uh, came within seconds of? Uh, not preventing a forest fire. 
No, I haven't. But I'm going to go pee first. So okay. hang on. Yes, please. Cue the guitar interlude. <laughs> I mean, have you ever you ever go to the Domino's when they used to like you could watch them cook the pizzas? No. No. Okay. So back when I was a kid, we'll get to your fire story in a minute. Yeah. Whatever. Back when I was a kid, the uh, Domino's we would go to like didn't have any sort of dining. It was delivery or carry out only. Mm-hmm. But you could go there, and there was this window, like big, big, wide window, where you could watch the entire kitchen. And I was always fascinated by this as a kid because the, like the prep station was all right in front of the window, and you could see the oven that they cooked it in the back. And so you'd watch this guy like throw a pizza dough, yeah, and then put the cheese on it and the ingredients. And they had a, a cheese machine. So they would take a scoop of cheese, put it in the top of this machine, and pull a lever, and it would evenly drop the cheese in a circle. It was really cool. That, um, that's one of those things where it's like, has humanity gone too far? <laughs> like, we start have to asking ourselves these questions about, like, our scientific ethic and whether or not... Because we can drop cheese evenly? Because we're turning the beautiful act of cheesing a pizza into a thing that you pull a lever for. I thought it was amazing. I mean, I think I can appreciate how amazing that mm-hmm. is, but it also fills me with sadness. It was amazing. Okay, fine. But I would, you know, if you watch this thing, you'd watch how long they hook the pizza, and it's not long. It's, it's this constantly moving conveyor belt. They put it in, it just goes, and then it's out. Hmm. It's just very hot. Mm-hmm. Can you cook a pizza too quickly? I don't think so. Like, uh, if you put it, like, at what, what temperature do you put a pizza into an oven at where it just instantly combusts instead of cooking? I mean, there's got to be a temperature, but the, the quickest I've ever seen a pizza cooked was actually on stage at Alton Brown's live show. Oh, okay. This sounds good. Uh, so he he does a bit, uh, and I think it's a, I think he's got a song about how he always wanted an easy bake oven as a kid, and he wasn't allowed <laughs> to have one. He said it was for girls, and that was dumb. Right. Uh, but he he got his revenge, so to speak, now that he's an adult and has his own stage show, and he created something called the Mega Bake Oven, <laughs> uh, which was an oven the size of a van. Nice. Um, but like an Easy Bake was heated by a light bulb. But not one light bulb, by a large array of stage lights. <gasps> Those are hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are very hot. Uh, do you know what temperature it could get to? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I could look it up, but I'm not going to. And he cooked a pizza in it? He cooked two pizzas in it. Wow. Um, and he had a little conveyor belt, and he actually brought someone on stage to continually turn the conveyor belt back and forth because that was the biggest issue it was it was if it stopped moving it would burn wow um and so she basically there's a big pirate wheel and she'd spin it one way and then spin it the other way as it went back and forth and it cooked in a couple minutes that's very cool yeah um i mean like i've seen uh like brick ovens mm-hmm. right like and those are incredibly hot yeah and those cook very very quickly Stage light oven. Yeah. Amy and I went to a, a restaurant down in Bee Cave that did a wood-fired oven. Nice. Pizza oven, which is, is rare. Mm-hmm. I've done that myself. I've uh, done a wood-fired oven pizza. pizza. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it makes a good pizza. It's, it, it does have a different sort of flavor to it. I think some of the smoke. Yeah, because you get all the wood smoke. Yeah. Um, speaking of wood and fire. Speaking. Oh, yeah. Wow. What a thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Um, 
I have just so happens that I have a story that involves wood and fire. Wow. Tell me more. <clears throat> okay, so uh I was at my sister's wedding. So this was not terribly long ago. This was in 2010. Okay. 2010. Okay. Um October of 2010. Mhm. Um I'm picturing pumpkins everywhere. I it was that vibe but I don't think there were actually any pumpkins. Well, it's New England. There were there were pumpkins. Somewhere. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> there were pumpkins. Um, there was pumpkin soup. Exactly. Um, my sister's wedding was a small event uh-huh. uh, that took place at our home, which is uh, full of pumpkins. Full of pumpkins. It's a pumpkin farm. No, uh, it's uh, you got your house and garage and whatnot, uh, and then a large hay field. Okay, like six or seven acres of hay field. Oh, wow. Uh, and then beyond that is a forest, mm-hmm. a lot of a forest, okay, like a humongous stretch of unbroken forest. Um, so the ceremony happened right inside the entrance to the woods. Mm-hmm. So you have this nice path cut through, yeah. through um, the hayfield, which was like cut short at this time, not growing because it's October. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30, 40 feet away from the tree line on either side of the path, you had uh, some hay bales and corn stalks and these, you know, nice little decorations that were put up as kind of like the gate, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then a little bit farther beyond that, uh, at what was assumed to be a safe distance, were very small fire pits. Okay. Bordered by stones, cut like, you know, dug into the ground, very small fires. Late in the afternoon, so it was you know nice little mm-hmm. fires, little decorations, and you go in and you have your ceremony in the woods. So I'm in the house, yeah, in my bedroom, getting dressed, uh-huh. and uh, I hear from downstairs my mother screaming, uh, "Jesse, Jesse, and Josh, like come downstairs quick." And a voice that, like, I'm used to my mom screaming from downstairs. Okay. Right? It's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, like, it's a mom thing. Like, uh, hey, Jesse, come downstairs, yeah. blah, 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 you, whatever. Yeah. Uh, this, the tone in her voice this time was very different. Okay. Clearly full of fear. Yeah. Uh, so I run downstairs. Uh, I have pants on, and I have my shirt mostly on, mm-hmm. and I do not have shoes on. Okay. That's important. I'm not it's wearing shoes. Come up soon. Um, and she goes... Find the fire extinguisher and run to the woods. <laughs> wow! And I look out the kitchen window and I see, um, the father of the groom mm-hmm. running towards the house mm-hmm. from the woods, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the stacks of hay bales with corn stalks is engulfed in flames. Uh, what had what seemed to have happened was uh, just a spark came up out of one of the little fire pits. You know, in hindsight, as I say this, and as you're listening to this, you're probably going, "That is a horrible idea, <laughs> right? Like, why would you put fire over there?" I did have my uh, my fireman's chip when I was in the scouts, uh, right? So, so you, I know I know fire safety. You sense the danger, yeah. Um, spark came out of the little fire, landed in the in a bale of hay, and mm-hmm. it just went up. Ooh. Um. So I 
find the fire extinguisher, which was like just in like just around the corner in the kitchen. Uh-huh. It's a small like household fire extinguisher. Yeah. I grab that and I start sprinting yeah. towards the woods. Yeah. Um, and I get to the fire. I'm at the hay bale. Yeah. And so you have the stack of hay bales and these and these corn stalks, mm-hmm. and they're burning significantly. Yeah. Um, like they do. The fire pit is still just doing its little fire pit thing. Yeah. But now also, from the base of the hay bale, there is a ring oh, of no. fire spreading towards everything, the, towards ev- the rest of the hay field yeah. and the very close forest. Um, and I immediately am filled with like that kind of like dread and panic where yeah. you know that if you don't do anything, like there are humongous consequences. <laughs> Like, yeah. There are enormous consequences to what could like yeah. about what could happen. Um so I'm like, well here I am. I'm ready to save the day. Like I'm the guy with the fire extinguisher yeah. and what do we have? We have an uncontrolled fire. That's what fire extinguishers are for. I know exactly what to do. Pull the ring, uh-huh. squeeze the lever. <laughs> <laughs> Just the saddest little little poof of white smoke. As if, like, someone struggling to breathe, like, coughed. Just, <laughs> you know, in a, in a winter field where it's just, oh. And literally, the fire extinguisher was useless. Yeah. Nothing could happen. Yeah. Um, at this point, my brother is here to help. And he is holding, uh, he's holding a milk, a gallon milk jug full of water. Okay. Which is not a lot of water. It's not. But it's something. Um, and he dumps it on the hay bales, which helps a little bit, but yeah. like doesn't doesn't really. Um, so I find the other fire extinguisher, which was very intelligently and carefully placed next to the stack of hay bales in case it's a good place for it. Something bad happened. Yeah, which it did. So I'm like, oh, another fire extinguisher. Here we go. I grab it, and the nozzle is melted closed. <laughs> Because it's next, it's, it's next to the it's fire. Next a pile, it's next to a pile of burning fire. Oh no! So we have two fire extinguishers that are useless. We have a, a gallon of water, and me standing out there, uh, barefoot, barefoot, and um, my brother, who thankfully, God bless him for being an incredibly talented and gifted athlete, uh, just starts sprinting back and forth. Someone is filling up any vessel they can find with water, and he is taking full vessels of water, sprinting back and dumping them on the hay bale, um, which is helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, the father of the groom is also, and he's older, so he's sprinting less quickly, but yeah. he's also yeah, transporting water back and forth. And uh, so the hay bale is starting to get under control, but we still have the problem of this now much larger ring, ring of, of fire. fire that is now touching the edge of the forest. Yeah, uh, And... It's the, thank God the hay was so short that, like, as the fire is moving outward, it's burning, and then it's leaving nothing. Yeah. Like, it's leaving nothing behind. So, it's not like there's a filled-in circle of mm-hmm. fire. There is it's, a... It's a grass fire. There is a ring yeah. of fire. Um, so, I just run to the edge of the ring, and I just start stomping. <laughs> I just so I'm I'm just running around in this growing circle and I'm trying to stomp out all this burning hay and I'm like 
where it's like getting into the woods i'm like moving around trees and like stomping on Mm -hmm. all the all the burning and eventually through a bunch of sprinting water back and forth and me stomping out this ring getting into the the forest we put out the fire how are your feet they were they were fine okay Uh, i didn't get any burns but i was very sooty Mm -hmm. uh sore yeah um and then uh, my sister got married like 45 minutes later. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah, I bet it was. Um, yeah, that would have been the worst disaster ever. Yeah, that would have been bad. Because like we, like again, we live on, we live bordering a very, very large area of yeah. woods, which is terrifying. Yeah. Actually, a couple of years after that, there was a forest fire. What were you doing? Come and on. <laughs> I, I was... Uh, I was home, and it got very close to where we lived. Wow. Um, they had to bring in, like, crazy logging equipment to mm-hmm. uh, essentially cut a, a huge road out yeah. of the forest and just plow right through and, you know, remove fuel for, like, a 50 feet so wide couldn't, block. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't stop moving. Yeah, they essentially just cut around the fire and let yeah. it burn. But it burned, like, I think it ended up burning, like, 100 acres or so wow. of forest. Like, a mile away from my house. Yeah. Which is what we almost did. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. That was a really fun wedding. That does that does briefly remind me of and I, I there's it reminds me of a moment and uh-huh. I can't remember any context to it whatsoever. But we were this was in high school. I, I think I've mentioned on the show, I don't know if I've told you before, I'm a sixth grade dropout. Uh, right. I I quit in sixth grade and was homeschooled. But in high school, uh, for a couple of years, I went to a local private school for theater classes because I was passionate about theater, still am. Uh-huh. Um, and they would let me take like a theater class and something else for right. a couple of years. Uh, the something else was always an excuse to take more theater because <laughs> I would usually have my theater teacher say, I need Kevin to be in my class. Oh, theater kids. <laughs> always looking for more theater. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember any sort of context for this, but we had a piece of paper... And we lit it on fire inside. And I think it was supposed to, like... But I remember, like, stomping it out on, like, the carpet. Because you got scared. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember any more than that. Wow. Uh, The only thing that's coming to mind is... In Little Women, I think we lit something on fire on stage as part of the show. Uh Uh-huh. Like there was a note or something that gets burned in a box. Sure. Um, and I think we were dumb enough to actually like set it on fire. <laughs> like I think that's a thing that that nobody would have stopped us from doing. <laughs> that's such a good way to describe that. <laughs> um, I don't remember if that was related at all, but uh, I have nightmares about that production of Little Women still. Really? Yeah. Because uh, I was the stage manager. As well as the father character, okay, for these for the, the little women. Yep, I know nothing about the story of Little Women, I and I I've, was I was in the play. I think I've seen the movie, um, but I got asked to be in it at the last like minute, like a week before it opened. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because their other father left or couldn't do it or whatever, and you were already stage managing the show. No, oh, I got. I was you asked started to do both. both jobs a week before. Yeah. Okay. Um. And it was on. It was like a one scene thing where I was the father and I came on stage. But I have nightmares about that show and like 
every everybody's ever worked in theater has uh, the dream where you're on stage and you don't know your lines. Like that's that's a recurring theater dream, right? Like I still have that, but mine is almost always centered around this production of Little Women. That's funny. Um, also, in that production of Little Women, I got uh, electrocuted. <gasps> that's fun. Uh, I don't know exactly how we had we had headsets like like you do uh-huh. uh, for the stage crew. And I would be in the back with my headset on and in full costume and had a little speaker box that you would, so the headset was connected to that and you'd push the button to talk and you'd let go to stop talking. Right. And one time I did that and I pushed the button and my entire alar- arm was like shocked. Like it went numb. Oh no. And I couldn't move it because I've yeah. been electrocuted. I've done it a couple times. You, your muscles tense and you can't do anything. Right. And luckily it stopped. Like I don't know what happened that it was like a short, like short. <sighs> And my arm was, like, numb for a couple minutes afterwards. That's weird. Yeah. Did you continue using that that set? Yeah. <laughs> it stopped. But yeah, I had to... That was not the first show I was in where I was also doing a tech thing. <laughs> there was a show we did... Oh, I did so many terrible plays in school. I mean, they were, they were high school theater productions. I'm sure they were fine. Uh, we did one called The Boyfriend, which okay. is a 1920s era musical. Not like set in the 1920s, but it is set in the 1920s, but it was also from the 1920s. Okay. Um, before like boyfriend was a common term. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think that was a thing people like, said and, back and then. And it was spelled boy space friend, like it was the boyfriend. Okay. Uh, Referring to what we now in modern yeah, day I call so. boyfriends? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and my director slash teacher, I was running lights for this play. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry. I, li- I loved running lights. That was my favorite thing. So I hate lights. Well, I hate sound. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you do. So we'd be perfect. Yeah. Uh, but I was running lights. Um, I was not the stage manager for this one. One of our, our assistant director was stage managing. Um, but my teacher, there's a line in one song about going to the beach. And the line is, you might run up against a Raja which I guess the play was set in England, and so there's that reference to, I don't, I don't know. Sure. And the, the director thought it would be fun to put me in, like, a turban and a diaper and walk across stage. Not an actual, but, like, right. you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, the, the racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of like it. like, walk across stage in that line. Yeah. As a character or just as a visual joke? Just as a visual joke. Like, that was the whole bit. Weird. Yeah. That sounds like it sounds like a thing family guy would do. And I say and I say that with meaning like <laughs> with a, the appropriate amount of derision, yes. Yeah. A lot of disrespect. Yeah. No like no respect. None offered. whatsoever. Um with all due respect, which is to say none. With none due respect. Yeah. I hate Family Guy. It's a bad joke. I despise Family Guy. I used to be the kind of person who thought Family Guy was funny, like most teenage mm-hmm. boys. Uh now I don't think it's funny at all. Yeah. Um Harrison, who you used to work with, he doesn't work where you work anymore. Uh, a couple days, a couple days left. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. His his LinkedIn's updated. Yeah. It's <laughs> how I know things. He's almost out. I read a lot of LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so he may still do this, but in the break room, like anytime I was in the break room, he would come in and turn on Family Guy. Yep. And like I try to be nice, especially to Harrison. He's a super nice guy. I oh, yeah. disagree on everything. Yep. Uh, but like some people love one, that show. One time he was in there, and he was like, "He said something like, what should we watch?'" And I'm like, "How about something funny?'" 
and he didn't appreciate that joke, which is fair. It was yeah. a mean joke, but um, oh man, yeah, it's a bad. It's just a bad show. Yeah, it's a bad show. Um, made by people who don't know what funny is. Yeah, they try really hard to be funny. They do. Uh, I think. I mean, I, it seems like they're trying hard. Yeah. Um, I have been working my way through Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers is great. Which is like uh, similar to Family Guy, in only in that it is a animated it's a family. It's an animated sitcom about a family. Um, but everything that I like dislike about Family Guy is like just the opposite. And Bob's Burgers, Bob Bob's Burgers is like. It's hilarious. It's amazingly it's funny. Very funny, uh, but it's also just like warm and wonderful. And well, it's a show where everybody loves each other, and they're all like they're all super weird people. But it's not like the cheesy sitcom love each other at the end, right? And it's not. Yeah, like a lot of sitcoms are. Oh, here's a bunch of horrible people that and we they have a conflict that we that we put in incredible situations yeah and funny stuff happens which when done right turns into seinfeld yeah right yeah when done or, wrong uh, is... always sunny uh which is is the spiritual successor to seinfeld i think yep yeah yeah absolutely um when done wrong it's family guy yeah um but then bob's burgers is unique because like you said it's a bunch of people who like each other and uh -huh. are like just good yeah and like it's about a family so like there's teasing mm -hmm. you know what i mean like there's like back and forth between but it's like family teasing yeah like there's back and forth between the parents and yeah. there's like siblings teasing each other and yeah. like air quotes being mean to each other especially louise because that's just her that's her, her that's personality but like i remember uh, but I'm, but there's also like so many episodes where louise like stands up for her family or is like right. part of them because they honestly all like they're a family. They're, they're a well-adjusted family who accepts who they are and love each other. Why and, like, is, stand up for each other. Why is that such, like, a novel thing in a TV show? I blame everybody loves Raymond. Because <laughs> <laughs> that show would be at 30 minutes of people yelling at each other. With, yeah. With, like, a, a tacked-on heartfelt moment at the end. Yeah. Um, my parents watched a lot of that. I've seen a lot of Everybody Loves Raymond. And there is, I think there is something... There's something kind of like sweet about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a terrible show, but the the whole all the all the jokes are jokes you're supposed to relate to with the expectation that you hate your family. Yeah, like that's that's the joke of everybody loves Raymond right. is you hate your family, and everybody can relate to the like, oof, my in laws are annoying sometimes. Yeah. but like to get everyone to relate to that all the time, the characters hate each other constantly, which is weird. It is weird. Bob's Burgers, everybody loves each other. And it's, it's fantastic. It's so nice. I love that show. Oh, I'm uh, halfway through season five. I'm going to, I actually, uh, I between seasons, I started rewatching it because I was trying to catch up oh, yeah. and watch it again. It's, man, uh, there was an episode, um, Louise, the, the character Louise is very like, I don't know, how do you describe her? She's, uh, she's got bunny ears. <laughs> yeah, she's got bunny ears, but she's a, she's the like manipulative, mm -hmm. like, evil child the yeah. one who's always getting into and just, she's got schemes and pranks schemes and, and pranks and plans and trying to get her trying to get the most out of every situation right yeah. right um, and just lies to people all the time yes and there's an episode where uh she accompanies tina the older teenage daughter mm -hmm. 
to a concert of a boy band. Yes. Uh, which is such a great uh, what's episode. The name of, what's the name of the band? Um, Boys for Now? Boys for Now. Oh, <laughs> which is such, a, such a great a name. name. <laughs> Boys for Now. You, uh, they appear in the later episode they as do. well. They come, they, they come back a couple times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go to a Boys for Now concert because Tina is a big Boys for Now yeah. fan. Side note. Yes. Uh, the thing that made Bob Burgers click for me a little bit was I was reading about it. Because I uh-huh. watched the first season and I was like, okay, it's okay. Yeah. It was like six episodes long or whatever. But um, someone I saw on Twitter or internet somewhere, someone like, the show's about Tina. Like, yeah. It's, it's like she's the center of the entire family in a lot of ways. Because everybody's very protective of her. And right. sort of the centerpiece. Right. Not that each individual episode is. but And Tina is the one changing. Yes. Tina's the one with the character with like the most character change yeah because yeah. like the parents are the parents and yeah. Jean and Louise don't really change much they're kind of just no Tina types. is is a pubescent teenage girl yeah in a way that you never see portrayed who loves butts and that's okay yeah um, anyway so and they horses go, yes <laughs> oh boy the horses and zombies so they go to uh, they go to the concert mm-hmm. and Tina is in love with one of the boys because everybody is in love yeah. with one of the boys. And Louise is thinks it's dumb and hates yeah. it and just wants to leave and she's just being a little brat, uh-huh. right? Brat's the right word for, yeah. for Louise. She's a brat. Um, and then one of... And then the youngest member of the band comes out <laughs> and she's just overwhelmed with... Uh-huh. Emotion. With crush yeah. for yeah. him. And doesn't know what's going on and is so is very confused and like... You often see those kinds of situations in TV shows where, like, a girl has a crush and they're embarrassed by mm-hmm. it. And then bad things happen and they're ashamed and all yeah. this stuff. But this happens to Louise and then Tina is just, like, super nice to her. Yeah. Like, and there's not even, like, her interaction, like, the interaction between Tina and Louise after uh, Louise has her first crush. Uh-huh is not played for jokes at all. No. There are jokes happening mm-hmm. around, particularly with the bands and yeah. all of their... Oh, that band is great. All, all of their commentary on modern boy bands. Yeah. Um, but, like, Tina's just nice to her and mm-hmm. is like, hey, it's okay. Like, yeah. you have a crush. Like, you feel crazy and that's uh-huh. fine. And, like, it's just so weird watching a TV show where people do that. Yeah. People are supposed to always be causing conflict and drama between well, each other. Speaking as someone who has written like media, like uh-huh. I was a playwright once. Yep. I still tell people I am, but I haven't written much lately. For Have you written a full play? I've written a few. Okay, then you can call yourself a playwright. Yeah. That's all you need. That was my, my dissertation project, was writing three full length versions of the same play. Nice. Well, yeah. Yeah, call yourself a playwright. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is much easier to write characters who hate each other right because conflict comes easy from that it's very easy to to write everybody loves raymond and and not just like disparage the writers who worked on that show and put lots of effort into it but you you have an inherent conflict in the system there Uh it's much more difficult to write a show or anything where everybody likes each other right um where there isn't sort of any any strong or permanent interpersonal angst or anger or disagreements. Right. Um, a show that, another show that kind of fits that same mold, I would argue, is Star Trek. Uh, Interesting. Star Trek, particularly the next generation, 
Um, although it's it's true of the original series, and it's true of what I've seen of uh, DS9. Voyager is my least well-known. Enterprise has got some as well. But has very little interpersonal conflict. The conflict is all external. Mm-hmm. The crew is all... Yeah. And it's not to say the crew can't have ideological disagreements, mm-hmm. but, but it's utopian in the sense that the idea is they are going to figure out a solution together. Right. Rather than, like, that conflict being the continuing driving force of the show. And even something like Star Trek Voyager. I know you know nothing about Star Trek. I've seen so. almost no Star Trek. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I can kind of follow okay. along. Uh, Star Trek Voyager, the premise of Star Trek Voyager is a uh, ship gets pulled into another part of the galaxy uh-huh. uh, that will take it, and it will take them at least 70 years to get back home. Okay. That's the premise of the so show. So they're just stuck until yeah. they get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and originally in the the pilot, it's actually two ships um, that are at war with each other. It's the, the Federation and a group called... I know this. Oh, I'm, I am losing Star Trek cred wow. right now. It's just dropping every second. Not losing it with me. You could literally make the up... The Maquis. I got it. I got it. That could literally be a word you just made it's up. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, the Maquis, who, sure. who uh, were at war with the Federation. Okay. And both of their ships get brought to this other part of the galaxy by means that are not important for the story. Uh-huh. Um, and the Maquis ship gets destroyed or damaged, and so they have to become one crew. Uh, and so it's the Maquis and the Federation that are working together. Um, and the captain of the Maquis ship becomes the first officer of Voyager's ship, of the Voyager crew, to sort of show this unity and things like that. And that interpersonal conflict, which is baked into the premise of the show, disappears after a season. They all just become one crew and work together. In a, in a way where, like, they pretend it never existed? Or in a way where they yeah, solve no, it? Yeah, in no, a, in a way where they pretend it never existed. Oh. It's bad writing. Okay. But, <laughs> But because that that sort of thing is almost antithesis to how Star Trek works, I think. Right. Yeah, kind of that makes that sense. Happened. That makes sense. I think, like, it's funny that we're using Everybody Loves Raymond as yeah. an example for this. Because it is a very good example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I should point out, a very successful show and a show that lots of people love. And it's not a bad version of this at no, all. No, no. Uh, the writer for Everybody Loves Raymond, the head writer whose name is... Phil something. Um, I forget his last name. Maquis. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. Um, it's funny that he created a show like that because um, he did his own uh, his own travel show, mm. uh, which is very good, called Everybody Loves Phil. Okay. Was this and, after Everybody Loves Raymond, I'm guessing? Yeah, it, was, it came out like two years ago or something. Okay. Um where he, he, he's the star of a travel show and he goes and he travels to a couple of different places and tries food and it's, yeah. it's primarily a food thing. Um, but it's a miracle of a show because he is the, like, the warmest, kindest, most, like, enthusiastic and positive person I've ever seen on television. Wow. Like, he, he, go, he goes to a place, he tries a food, and every single time he's just overjoyed with, like wonder and awe at how to, how, <laughs> how amazing something is and how much he loves the people and like it's just such a positive show whereas wow. like a lot of travel shows are like 
they don't celebrate like the food and the places they're going to. They're just like about the person. Yeah, kind of. I can see that. Um, but they're like I've just never seen yeah. a person more joyful. That's on television. Um, which I think probably sheds a light on why everybody loves Raymond is written so like dumbly where everything is just like what do you know we're married and we hate the in-laws yeah but like there's still you still feel like i don't know like some kind of like love and warmth in Mm -hmm. it i think it's probably because he's not a horrible evil person like seth mcfarlane two tangents Mm -hmm. uh first one travel show remind me of andrew zimmern uh which is who's the host of uh bizarre foods right which is a great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I like to call it Andrew Zimmern. Andrew Zimmern says, "Yeah, I'll eat that." <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's like what most that's, of the that's show what is. The show right? is uh, on an episode of Bizarre Foods. He ate a spam sandwich and did not like it. Wow. Yeah, he's he, like, "This is gross." And he knew he didn't like spam to begin with. But but, he's, he's, but it was give it a fair shot. Yeah, but he he was at a, a place. He was in Hawaii, and spam is really big there. Right. Uh, and so he had some, and was like, Wah. "Oh, that's funny." <laughs> Uh, his, he'll, he'll his, his, his whole deal is he'll eat anything. And he did. He ate it. He, he just didn't, didn't like, like it. it. That's funny. Uh, but related, so Everybody Loves Raymond ended, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of went to go do whatever they do after a big sitcom ends. They try and find another one. Sure. And the brother, uh, whose name I don't remember. The big dude? Yeah, big yeah. dude. Uh, he starred in a show called Till Death. Okay. I don't know if you remember it. It's okay. It lasted for four seasons, and nobody remembers it. No. Um, Till Death did one of the most amazing things in in the world of being a sitcom. Okay, um, is it retooled itself every season? Like each year, like the main couple, Brad Garrett—that's his name. Okay, Brad Garrett and his wife were there, but every season after that, there was like a different premise. Uh, so in really in the first season, it was like okay, it's. Brad Garrett and his wife and the new couple next door who just got married. And the, it's the old married couple and the new married couple. And there's like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to be a new married couple. Okay. Uh, then they got rid of the other couple in the second season. And their daughter came back to live with them. Uh-huh. Um, and that became the premise. But it was still, you know, angry married couple sniping at each other. Right. The third season, they added J.B. Smooth. Who, or Smooth. I'm probably pronouncing one of those wrong. Uh, He's a stand-up comedian. Okay. Um, They brought him in as a regular cast member to play Brad Garrett's little brother because he signed up for the Big Brother Little Brother system. His little brother just happens to be like in his 30s (laughs) because that's funny. And he became a permanent character on the show. Okay. And in the fourth season, it retooled itself again with no mention of J.B. Smooth ever again. Um, The daughter who has been played by a third actress. She's been played by three oh different actors over the course of the show. I can't handle shows like this. Um, the daughter and her new hippie husband move into a trailer in the backyard. What? Um, Brad Garrett, we see much more of his time. He's a, he's a history teacher. Mm-hmm. And we see a bunch of time with him at work where his new boss, the principal, hates him and was a former student that he made fun of 20 years ago. <laughs> Who is seeking revenge on him? It's a good premise, it, it, but like this, it's this like there, reinvention every time, d- and nobody watched the show. Did they do that on purpose? Like, was that? I think they were just the, trying to no, like that they were just casting around trying to make the show successful. 
That's so weird. But it got so weird at the end. This is not a good sitcom. I'm going to preface by saying at no point is any of this good. It's mediocre at best, and okay. most of the time it's bad. Okay. And the central couple actually hates each other, and there's no like. It's not like oh, it's funny that we hate each other. They just they're just mean to each other constantly. Oh, yeah, that's sad. Um. But in the final season, their hippie <laughs> son, who has or son-in-law, who's been played by the same character throughout the various seasons. Okay. His wife, their daughter, has not. Starts going crazy, and thinks he's in a sitcom. Oh, okay. This sounds awesome now. <laughs> and it's this running subtext that's well, it's like a running subplot where like he can hear the laugh track. Oh and my he gosh. looks at the camera. And like everybody's like, Oh, you're so crazy, or you're being weird, or stop this. And he's self aware to being on a sitcom. Was this a live studio audience sitcom? I don't think so. I think it's laugh track. Okay. I mean, it's just four camera set up, so it's shot like a live studio audience. I don't think it was actually a live studio audience. Okay. I think it was all laugh track. I'm on board with that. That sounds great. <laughs> it's weird. And the best part is the third season, which had J.B. Smoove as a recurring character mm-hmm. um, and got cut out of the fourth season, they only aired half of the third season in the third season. They then, when the fourth season started alternated fourth season and third season episodes until they ran out of third season episodes. So there's no continuity. There's no continuity. And every other episode, this character pops up played by JB smooth. And so there's two different, like it's, it's absolutely insane. That's so weird. Is the canonical way to watch it that like, well, if you go, if you go watch it on Netflix, like, you watch the, you, you get the real you order. get the, the actual seasons I, I want there to be like a dedicated fan base to this show <laughs> is it just you <laughs> it might, so I discovered this from an AV club article um, somebody this is wrote about exactly it. the kind of thing the AV club club yeah, likes to write about like it's it's perfect yeah. um, although that writer doesn't work there anymore he's he's now he works for Vox oh. he's the, the lead culture editor there Todd Vanderwerf mm, Vox is really uh, sucking up the talent I mean, I, that's how I discovered Vox is because he went there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm following this. Um, but, like, I discovered that. And so then I went and watched. I, haven't, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched most of the fourth season interspersed with third season episodes because it was all on Netflix. That's so bizarre. Uh, and that, so I went and found the original air dates of each episode and, like, watched them in that order. Do you know what network this show was on? I want it to be Fox because that sounds like the kind of bullshit Fox I think Fox it was Fox. Fox. That's such a Fox move, right? I'm going to look it up. Like with the kind of nonsense they did yeah. to oh, like yeah, absolutely. Joss Whedon shows and whatnot. Um, that, so like I can understand they have these episodes that they have to air, but they don't mm-hmm. want to give them a time yeah, Fox. to air. Oh, of course it was. Like they don't want to, you know what I mean? They don't want to give them a time. They yeah. don't want to, they had to, you know, put another show in for ratings like halfway through the third <laughs> season. So they have all these episodes that are like, we got to air them. So I guess let's just throw them in after the current season is airing but like that is exactly how you but they didn't do it after the season aired they did it interspersed right that's exactly how you kill a show because anyone who is watching that and is like hey i'm ready for a new season they're immediately going to be so confused because that's not going to make any sense and that is how you bleed audiences yeah how does fox keep doing well the the uh the story or the article i read with it posited that the reason it even got a fourth season mm-hmm. was because the studio really wanted to do enough episodes to syndicate it. 
Because oh, that's where the real money is. Right. And so they basically said, look, we're going to make it as cheap as we can. We're going to sell it to you for cheap. We just want to get that many episodes in the can and then aired so that we can syndicate it. And you can tell the writers, like, we just need episodes. Do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And nobody was watching the show anyway. Right. So, so just go nuts. Yeah. Um, this is uh, the more successful version of meta sitcoms and sitcoms. Mm-hmm. It's well, more successful is relative. Community. Did yeah. you watch Community? Yeah, all six seasons. Yeah, uh, and a movie. <laughs> Hashtag and a movie. Um, community did that really, really well throughout its run and pretending and having all the meta jokes. Yeah, and they yeah. didn't. They didn't literally have someone like questioning their reality. Yeah, but the meta ness of the of Community was yeah. spot on. I think. I think it it waxed and waned over the years. I think second season of Community hit the sweet spot for me. Okay, I loved all of it. Like I watched all of it. Right. I even enjoyed the the gassy leak year. <laughs> um, yeah, like it was fine. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. Uh, community, like I was endeared to the characters of Community enough where I look back on all of it mm-hmm. like very fondly. Absolutely, there are definitely highs and lows. Yeah, um, I, I think some episodes were really successful and some were not. Like the Goodfellas episode was oh. like pitch perfect. Yeah, um, and I really liked the My Dinner with Andre episode. Yep, like later on. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of good stuff. What a beautiful show yeah uh, fun fact i can't stand dan Harmon. really as a person i mean everything i've like in like when i see him in interviews or like i tried listening to his podcast uh-huh he just rubs me the wrong way he seems like uh like an asshole yeah kind of a he is style. i mean that, that's the feeling i get yeah yeah and like i don't want like i, I can enjoy the show but like he's got a huge following like in his podcast and in other right. things um like the reason anybody checked out rick and morty was because he was involved with it right another show i don't i don't quite get yeah, I didn't. It didn't get didn't me either. Me. Um, but like, as a person, I'm like, I don't like you. Yeah, I'm sensitive to the kind of people who, like, he's an asshole, but he's the kind of, I think, like, he's, I think he's like a good person. Yeah, he's the kind of asshole where he's like, uh, like, I'm gonna say whatever I want, and you can't stop me. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. like I have the right to express my opinion, so fuck you. I'm gonna tell you what I think. <laughs> right? Like, everybody always needs to know what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a particular kind of asshole. Yeah. Sometimes what he thinks is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, be be cooler about it. Yeah. But, boy, Community is one of my favorite yeah, shows. Yeah, Community is great. And Community led to the existence of a movie that is really interesting that I haven't finished watching yet called Anomalisa. Uh, I've heard of it. Before you tell me what that movie is about, how do you almost finish watching a movie? I was on an airplane and I stopped because the plane landed. Oh, Okay, that's excusable. <laughs> like, watching half a movie uh, as, like, a thing that you do <laughs> is a horrible practice, and I wanted to make you feel ashamed. To be fair, I have often, like, watched a movie in piecemeal. Like, on Netflix, I'll watch, like, 20 minutes and then go do something else and then nope, go back. Nope, nope, That is wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> you should feel bad about that. Okay. Uh, I don't, but okay. The more extreme version of yeah. of that feeling is the whole, like, you should listen to an album from start to finish. <laughs> like, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. But, like, movies you should definitely watch start to finish. I mean, so movies have the benefit of being able to be watched in a single setting most of the time, which is helpful. Right. Albums I get distracted by. Like, I will do other things that I'm listening to music. They're, like, half as long. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> um, okay, so you watch this movie. Yeah, well, so... Um, the movie was directed by Charlie Kaufman. 
Do you know Charlie Kaufman? Is you he, know his films. You just don't know necessarily that you know his films. Uh, is he the guy who made Synecdoche, New mm-hmm. York? Which is one of my top films of all time. Uh, I watched it and had a lot of emotions afterwards. Right? Yeah. It's an amazing film. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I definitely have to like watch it again, but it was... I've watched it four or five times. Very affecting. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic film. And vastly underrated. Like, nobody... Like, it was not successful. Right. Nobody saw it in theaters. It was... Uh, before Roger Ebert died, he called it the best film of the decade. Uh, the decade, which was the 2000s that it came out. Wow. Yeah. And I agree. Like, it, it's an amazing, amazing film. But he also... That was his directorial debut. He also wrote that, as well as mm-hmm. uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Right. Adaptation, which is still an absolutely amazing film. I don't know Adaptation. It's... <laughs> Your face. Oh. <laughs> It's so good. Um, and um, Adaptation, and before that, Being John Malkovich. That was sort of his big splash. Right. Uh, he also wrote um, Human Nature, I think is what it's called. I never watched it. It was not, it's not considered part of the Charlie Kaufman canon. Oh, really? Uh, to me, anyway. Like, nobody ever talks about it <laughs> in the way they talk about Being John Malkovich or, right. you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think was his most impactful film at large. Right. Like, I think had the biggest cultural impact. Right. Um, but, so, uh, Starburns from Community. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dino Stamatopoulos uh, is, in addition to being a mediocre actor, <laughs> the owner of Starburst, Starburns Industries, uh-huh. uh, which is a stop-motion animation studio. Okay. Um, and Starburns himself was the creator of the show Moral Oral, which was on uh, Adult Swim. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of like Davy and Goliath, but for horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> also one of the great uh, show names. Moral Oral? Moral Oral. Yeah, it was a great show. Fantastic uh, name. Uh, a brutal show. I don't know if you ever watched it. I haven't. I'm aware of it, though. It's. It might be one of the darkest TV shows I've ever seen. <laughs> like... I don't. I, I've watched it, and I don't know that I'll ever like even think of watching it again. Wow, um, just brutal. Like yikes. Anyway, um, so he was partially responsible for the stop motion animation episode of Community, the Abed's Spectacular Christmas, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Um, and the director of that um, somehow got together with Charlie Kaufman and Starburns Industries Studios, whatever to film this script that he had written, Charlie Kaufman had written, called Anomalisa. Right. Uh, and they actually kickstarted it and then completely forgot about their Kickstarter backers. Um, <laughs> I'm a little, a little salty about that. Because <laughs> uh, they kickstarted, they raised, you know, $500,000. Right. Uh, and then, like, never updated anybody. Um, and then went and got external funding and didn't even tell the Kickstarter backers. Hmm. Like, we found out about it through Variety. Um, and like nowhere in the film is it like, hey, this was kickstarted or helped made by these people. It's kind of like, mm. yeah, um, that's weird. Still a good movie, but it's a stop motion animation animated film uh, that's really fascinating. And I'm going to give away a thing on it that yeah. I think is, I don't know if you're supposed to figure out or not. Like you're supposed to be aware of it. <laughs> um, but it's it's the story of this businessman who travels all the time mm-hmm. um, and he's miserable and just kind of sad and mopey and he lives in hotel rooms and he's got a wife and a kid but he doesn't 
he doesn't really care about them, it seems. Right. Um, and he's just sort of like living in this fog. And then he meets this woman at a bar named Lisa and like has falls in love with her, maybe. I remember seeing a trailer for this. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Um, so one of the things that this movie did that I thought was super neat and could only be done in this format uh, was every character other than the, the, the dude and Lisa are voiced by the same actor. Obviously? It grows on you. Like, it was not obvious <laughs> immediately. But they're played by the same actor, and they all have the same face. Because they're stop-motion animated. And so it's this sort of, like, general neutral face. Huh. Like, he's clearly doing different voices, like the actor is. Right. Um, but it's this really subtle but really fascinating sort of thing. Does that make you feel like the two main characters are, like, the only people... Well, so so until Lisa shows up, like it's sort of like this, like it's an amazing way of of showing off, right? Like this sort of man's isolation and his feeling of like nobody else exists, right? And sort of like they're all just they blur together, right? And these people that we interact with, like you know, there's a taxi cab driver and there's a bellhop, and they all and he like talks to all of them and things like this, but, but they're, they're just all the same. It's just and and it person. even extends to his wife and child. Oh wow, yeah. Um, and and that's and so and then Lisa stands out to him and is is voiced by a different person. Dang, that is such a clever mechanism, right? Because normally when you want to express like like you know the trope in the movie where like man sees the mm-hmm. women romantic interest for yeah. the first time and like you know and it's There's special different special, special because yeah. of the clothing yeah. or the lighting or whatever you know what I mean. But that all you need is just a different face. Yeah. And that's, a different voice actor. Oh, that's so clever. Yeah. I love that. But do you think do you think people watch it and don't realize that? Like, can it stay subconscious? I think it could. I, again, I haven't finished the film, so it might become more obvious later. Mm. Um, I figured it out pretty quick. And I, I think I may have had it spoiled for me. I didn't remember that having it spoiled. But once I realized it, I was like, oh, I think I knew this. Um, so I don't know. Man. But it's super clever. That's I've never heard of that before. It's well, and, and you couldn't do that in like a traditionally made film. Yeah, not easily. Not easily, because you would recognize that's the same guy. Right. That's the same guy. That's the same guy. Yeah. Um, but because it's stop motion animated, there's that sort of separation of of human. Right. That sort of uncanny. I started. Uh, I started noticing in back to Bob's Burgers. Yeah. So many of the minor characters of Bob's Burgers are voiced by. The same actors who voice the family members, really? Yeah, like who? Like 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 minor characters, okay. Like guest characters who show up for like an episode or two. Because like most of the recurring extended cast are all like actual people, right? It's like Aziz Ansari's got a character that shows up a few times. Aziz does, yeah. Like the so, twins so, played by the Sarah Silverman and her sister, right? Oh, I love Andy the and Ollie. Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Ollie. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, all the like, like in and out like one or two episode characters huh. are usually voiced by one of the family member voice actors. That's interesting. And and they do and they do like they put on a they voice, on a you voice, know what I mean? Yeah. And even like um uh Bob and Linda mm-hmm. they like they'll play like cross gender hmm. uh like you know Bob Bob's Even H John Benjamin who has such a, a distinct voice. Which is why it you notice it. Okay. <laughs> Cuz that's interesting. Um but it's it's really it's really interesting because like you wouldn't you don't notice it unless you like watch 
10 episodes in a day. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you watch all of Bob's Burgers at once. Right. Uh, but it's really funny when people are obviously putting on like a ridiculous fake voice to, huh. to play a minor have to look character. At that. Well, it's yeah. because, because I think with the exception of Linda and maybe Tina, and I think Tina as well, uh, with the exception of Linda, almost everybody on that show is not putting on much of a voice. Yeah. Like, that's what H. John Benjamin sounds like. Yes, that's that's what um, Eugene Merman sounds like. Yep. Like, he dials up it a little bit, but that's really what it is. Yeah. Or uh, whoever plays Luis. Um, uh, Kristen Shaw. Kristen Shaw sounds like that. Yep. Absolutely. Like, that's just their voices. Mm-hmm. With maybe, I mean, they're putting on a character, and so there's some acting and things that go into that that's different from how they talk on a day-to-day basis. But, like, you go pick up a Eugene Merman comedy album, it sounds like Gene Belcher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, though... There's also almost very little character separation between Eugene Merman, comedy actor, and, <laughs> Gene. and Gene. They're very close together. I watched his uh, comedy special, Vegan on the Way to the Complain Store. <laughs> uh, very funny, very funny show. Um, but it was like, this could just be Gene in like 20 years. Is he, like, is he holding a keyboard? and doing... uh, No keyboard, but a lot of props. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you hear... Uh, or did I tell you about what H. John Benjamin did? Uh, he put out a jazz album. Did you hear about this? I don't know if I heard it from you or you heard it from me, but I've, I've listened to it. You you listened to the whole thing? Yeah, whole thing, top to bottom. Well, I, I only heard about it on some NPR show. Okay. I found it on the internet. That may have been where I heard it as well. But um, What a absolutely genius like comedy move. It's it's good. So what he did... Uh, For those of you at home. Yes. Uh, he recorded a jazz album. Mm-hmm. He hired a jazz trio. Yep, a professional, very talented, very skilled jazz band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he played the piano, except he does not know how to play the piano yeah. at all. Yeah. So you are listening to this music, and you're like, wow, you know, you got some... And it's, and it's improvisational jazz. Got, like some, yeah. got some cool jazz going on. Yeah. And then uh, just as if you or I sat Same. down at a piano and just started bloop, 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 like yep. doing whatever to the piano keys. He just comes in and just makes fl- noise flounders yeah. away on the, on a piano. Yeah. Uh, and then the band tries to play around it. Like it right. tries to play with it because they're talented and skilled. Yeah. Uh, and he is not. Yeah. And then what he's, I, apparently what the next move is, is he is going to spend. So after recording or releasing that, he's mm-hmm. going to spend a year learning jazz piano oh wow and then he's gonna put out another album where he actually can play kind of play yeah with a year's worth of training he can competently play some jazz piano uh i think like with the same band and stuff like he'll just record a new album and be capable of it yeah the album's actually pretty funny um it's it's so bizarre to listen to because you get stretches without piano that are just long enough to be like, okay, oh, yeah. Does. And then and it then just like comes plank, in and it just plank, plank, crashes plank. and ruins plank, plank. everything. Oh. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit, I think it's the beginning of the album, where he tries to sell his soul to Satan. <laughs> so he can learn to play the piano. Ah, nice. And, uh, so he, and Satan's not having any of it. <laughs> and Satan's like, what sort of effort have you put in so far? And he's like, well, none. I just, I just want to learn. And it's like, no, I, I'm a last resort. <laughs> People sell their soul to me who have been trying to perfect their art for decades right and you're just rolling in here trying to sell your soul to learn to play the piano <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> hasn't already tried to sell the soul for anything else if he's so quick to get rid of it i guess not it, but it's a, and there's and there's a couple like comedy bits 
interspersed throughout like that. Nice. nice. But most of it is is H. John Benjamin not playing jazz piano very well. Just slapping the keys. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Thank you. 